Welcome to your number one source for technological innovations, ideas, and strategies for your business. Multiply your business's equations and put the odds in your favor. Now, live from Club ITHQ with your hosts, Ben and Sam, this is Tech Factor. Welcome, everyone. It's Friday. Thank God for that. Uh, I'm Ben. And I'm Sam. And this is... The Tech Factor. The Tech Factor. Right, this is our Friday, so it's Friday wrap. We're going to do a quick little wrap thing, and um, we're going to talk about some of the news of the week. Right, I'll leave it with you, Sam. Let's start yeah, off with what you've got. Sure, let, let, let's do it. So, the COVID app. Let, let's start on that again, shall we? <laughs> it has been a complete dud. Did it go like that? <laughs> <laughs> as, as of today, the only organization or individual to gain from the development of the COVID safe tracking app in Australia has been the cloud company AWS, which has earned roughly $710,000 for hosting the data that was collected. So far, the app has been downloaded 6.5 million times, but has only triggered one case yeah wow and i mean a lot of that would have been done through it could have just as well been done through manual investigation as well so i mean look it's a really good discussion point right because often we we run to technology and go look technology can solve all our problems and and look it can do a lot of really cool things and it can solve a lot of problems don't get me wrong but um there was this debate and legitimate debate to be had that sometimes we just we just go to technology for the quick fix or the silver bullet. And often the case, it's not always the case that it's often the case. Um, so, And also, you know, you think about the time frame on this one. This was so rushed to try and get something out so quickly and understandably, but, you know, it's it's about that thought and about that execution. It hasn't really, um, I guess, you know, a lot of people have downloaded it. It's great. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe they're going to use it for a secondary purpose now to get some money back on it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so the, this article that I, I, I gra- grabbed this one from Ben, it says here, so it, they question why the government did rush to develop the app so quickly when now both Google and Apple have implemented their own types of things that are integrated with their devices that the Australian government has refused to use. So I'm quite interested. That's that right. I suppose they've spent yeah. the money on it. Why, why go and use something that's I mean, better? Yeah, that's right. So that, that I mean, that goes, well, it's just an embarrassment, embarrassment thing now, right? It becomes a political issue because if you then go ahead and, and you jump onto Google or Apple's platform, well, look, there's two issues with that. So one, Google and Apple will can have control of the data. That's part of the issue. So Google and Apple are like, well, we'd love to have that data because that might be used for, for our purposes. So naturally developing some kind of API for them. And look, I, I don't know, maybe they've got some level of like some privacy statements or some kind of protections for that, but certainly Google or Apple owning the data has benefits to them. But um, I can understand why they developed the API, and that came back to all those issues with Bluetooth, right? There was the issues with Bluetooth and how it operated in the background in order to pick up on some of these um, issues that, that had occurred. So... Uh, because a lot of the times the app, I think with the, the iOS app, for example, it wasn't even working unless you had the app physically running. Yeah. And I think it, I think it even had and, to be and physically. That, and that stayed around for quite a while too before that was yeah. patched as well. So there's a lot of issues with the way that the Bluetooth operated in the background that affected how it would capture data. And that's where the Google and, I, and Apple's um, API came into play to try to address some of those issues. So it, it has come from a, a legitimate place. 
But again, like with anything, there's always a little bit of self-interest. So, and in this issue, it's self-interest on the government side, but then also self-interest on on Google and Apple side. As well. And self-interest on Amazon's side with Amazon. Amazon have done extremely well it. from COVID. Amazon have done extremely well from COVID. They cannot complain. All the work from home stuff, all the, all the money that I mean, I I hate Amazon with a passion. But even admittedly, I've had to buy some stuff from Amazon just because of stock availability and other issues where I really don't want to get something from Amazon. But sometimes you just, you know, it's the only place it's available, it's in stock. It's like, oh, God, if I have to. I just started uh, the trial of Amazon Prime just to order some stuff and not get, <laughs> and get free postage. But Yeah, I mean, they're doing very well. Amazon have, uh, I, mean, I bet they can't wait for the next COVID because they'll they'll be making big bucks every time this kind of shit happens. So. Anyway, that's that's Amazon. So that's that um, one. Yeah, let's uh, move on to the next. I'll introduce this topic, and then you can lead on with the actual content of it. But so on the first of July, officially we um, so there was this thing called Universal Service Obligation. It used to be uh, in play with Telstra. Telstra used to have the US USO, and USO used to basically guarantee every Australian a certain level of phone service. Everyone could have access to a phone line and and have the basics in order to mainly for purposes of, of you know because it was essential infrastructure right and they when they sold off uh, Telstra when they uh, they said oh well we just want to you know do some cheap profiteering and the government sold off Telstra they said well we're going to need to put some me- mechanisms in place to make sure there's still some level of, of public interest and the universal service obligation was one of those things you could argue how well that instrument worked over the years but it but it was in place. Uh, now the USO uh, has moved on to NBN. So NBN is primarily responsible under the USO and the USO Universal Service Obligation has now introduced uh, broadband as a technical requirement. So now it says as part of the Universal Service Obligation, uh, the provider, which in most cases is going to be NBN Co, has to deliver a minimum of 25 megabits download and a minimum of 5 megabits upload, which I can say for a fact given our own current situation in our workshop, yes. they certainly do not deliver on a regular basis. And I've seen plenty of clients which do not uh, reach that minimum USO. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens next now that they have this universal service obligation to deliver it. Uh, will they actually then deliver it? Because yeah. they still haven't done that with NBN. There's an actually another interesting tidbit in amongst that is it's not only is it that they have to achieve a peak download and upload of 25.5, but they also must provide 90% of premises on its fixed line network with a peak of 5010. Oh, wow. So, so 90% uh, of all fixed line must be 5010. And I would say your 25.5 is your fixed wireless and your satellite. Yeah, that's right. So 25.5 is fixed wireless satellite, but 5010 is going to be your fiber to the node, fiber to the curb. So that means we're going to see. Oh, they're going. They're going to have to do a lot of work because I've seen. I've seen a lot of fixed line that cannot fit hit fifty. I mean, I'm lucky here on fiber to the node that I can hit a hundred, but you know, I I can imagine half a kilometer down the road from where I am now, you probably can't at all. Um. So yeah, I think they're going to be doing a lot of work on their networks, considering fifty ten. I don't reckon a lot of people are hitting. I'd say a good portion of people on fiber to the node uh, are getting somewhere between. You know, like like thirty and maybe you know forty eight or something like that at the absolute maximum. Yeah. I, I reckon if MBN Co look at their own statistics, it'd probably say most people are on around forty meg. 
and they're probably thinking that most people on like on average all up, all up maybe even less than that maybe it's 30 or something like that because I've seen lots of connections where yeah even when we max out the connection we order a 100 meg plan for example and we're getting 35 megabits out of it so yeah which then you go back to the 50 meg plan most of the fiber to the node connections that we've provisioned normally I just provision the 50 meg because you can't I mean unless you're really close unless there's a good chance you're going to get more than that it's just not worth the money because you, you may get, if you're lucky, maybe 55 and most of the time you're going to get around 50. Um, but the reality of it is most, the typical connections are getting less than that again. So Yeah. Also, our um, federal government have said that re- the regional broadband scheme, the RBS, which is part of the same package of reforms, will commence on the 1st of January 2021 and it will provide transparent, sustainable, and ongoing funding for NBN Co.'s loss-making fixed wireless and satellite services. So really not 100% sure what all that means, but so basically it says the RBS is providing funding of over $700 million per annum to upgrade and recover the costs of providing broadband to regional and rural Australia. So... Uh, I've already sworn once on this, so I can, I'm right to keep swearing now. So <laughs> it really gives me the fucking shits because the, the, the fixed wireless, there were a number of instances, particularly in our locality, in the in, in parts of regional Australia where, where we're based. Um, oh, you know, we're, we're regional, but we're not regional, regional. Coastal but regional. Anyway, we're, we're coastal regional. Um, the um, There were situations where they were going to do fibre to the node, but they switched them all to, to, to fixed wireless. So like, oh, we're just going to do more fixed wireless stuff and it's easier. But the reality of it was a lot of those premises were more than easily served by fibre to the node. And some, they, of, the, some of the areas they already had ADSL in the area. So it's not, like, right, exactly. it's not like they were already on satellite or, you know, had no um, ADSL access at all. Like a, a lot of these areas were more than capable of running even fibre to the curb with almost little effort and they That's just right. couldn't have been bothered. That's right, and and that frustrates the hell out of me because the reality of it was that that they had the opportunity to to do that work and to say that oh well the fixed wireless is is loss making well I mean that's just a joke because they there was plenty of premises I would say there's probably a good 10, 15 percent of those fixed wireless premises that can be easily served by fibre the node or fibre the curb easily and they just refused to do so I mean originally obviously in the original plan from back in two thousand twelve was going to be ninety three percent of premises served to fibre to the premise. Um, and then the, the remainder was the outback, 18, outback stuff. 18% fibre to the premise at the moment. Yeah, I think it's 18, 20. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. So at any rate, universal service obligation. Check your internet speed. Go to, uh, you know, was it speed, speedtest.net? Is, is that yep, that, that's Ookla's. Yeah. Ookla's. So speed, go to speedtest.net, get a few screenshots, send it to your provider and say they're not me in the USO and hassle the hell out of them so we can get a better broadband network. That's my advice for that one. Australia deserves better than that. <laughs> we certainly deserve better. And given the current climate, we're all going to be using the internet more and more. So, and particularly if you're in Victoria, you're not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. So <laughs> I would uh, I would double check your uh, speed and uh, start making a bit of noise because the USA now does guarantee you a better performance. So... What else do we want to talk about? I, I guess there's a bit of the cybersecurity. Um, have you got anything there on any other articles that you wanted to? Other m- Mine's not so much on cybersecurity this week. Mine's uh, not even really news at this point. I mean, it's the first uh, the first of July this week. PlayStation 5 again, is it? No, it's not. No. <laughs> it's not. 
Uh, although I could, if you want me, <laughs> sure. I, 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 did, I did see. I did see Nintendo World. I saw some extra pictures of that from. from oh, um, that, that's from looking Japan, awesome! That place. I cannot wait to go there. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's animated coins, and there's like all this kind of crazy stuff, and all the pipes, and all the piranha. Yeah, all these, you know, I've seen some aerial piranhas. shots of it. And it yeah, just jumping looks out and moving around. Oh, yeah, I, I you know, I. My, 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 I wasn't planning on going back to Japan any time soon for a little while, but I mean, I reckon once international travel opens back up again, I might end up back there again. Well, mine might be early next year, depending on what happens. We'll see how we go. All right. Well, my one's not really news. And I mean, being tax time, you know, 1st of July this week, it's really not surprising. But the, the ATO systems crash on the 1st of July. Woo, what a surprise. But really, everyone flooded the ATO's website as usual. And, and most people were getting errors saying that there was currently technical difficulties and to try again later. And this actually started at quarter past 12 on the 1st of July. 15 minutes past midnight, their system started to crash. People want those refunds. That's, uh, and who could have predicted that? I mean, oh, you know, how could you plan for something like that? Like, oh. <laughs> like uh, I, 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 how could you possibly plan for a static event every time the same I'm time? I'm pretty every- sure I even uh, spoke to this about you. Uh, spoke to you about this earlier in the week, Ben, was how they haven't even incorporated some kind of like queue or something to get onto the website, they just go, nah, sorry, try later. <laughs> uh, you know, it, even our like retail sectors are now doing that during their large sales of the year. They'll, they'll chuck uh, on queues. And- like, you know, you, you jump onto, I mean, obviously not, you know, there's no, no live music events right now, but they had that system nailed down, right? You know, Ticket Tech yeah. and all those guys, like, all those queue stuff. It's been, it's been, in, systems have been in place like that for a long, long oh, time. Oh, even, you know, Big W in Australia a few weeks back had their toy sale and they were expecting their online sales to be crazy. So just anticipating it, they chucked a queue on. Like they didn't even wait for the systems to go down. So at this point, I think the ATO could probably do a little bit better. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I don't blame the the staff. I'm sure the staff are doing. Uh, a, oh a good yeah, job, I, it, it's I not the like time it's, you it's, to it's work. The bureaucracy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't. I don't envy their job. Like I, I couldn't imagine that. You know, the, and again, the call waits time and all that stuff, and finally getting through to someone. I'm sure they, the poor staff, are copying a beating. I'm but, I'm a hundred percent sure they pulled that um that roster out of a hat on who has to work on the first of July. <laughs> Oh, it would be painful. It would be painful. Who picked the first uh, the short straw <laughs> this year? Like, yeah, I, I say, I feel for the staff, but it, it's definitely, you know, it's a bureaucratic and a strategic screw up. Like, there's no, there's no excuses for that, you know. And this is the funny thing as well, you know. The, look, it is a, it's the news is about a week old now, but there was obviously the big instances of the cybersecurity instances they were talking about uh, last week in relation to. Um, they said state-based actors. Um, they oh, yeah, indicated of course. potentially China or whatever. And look, you know, it, it is always hard to pinpoint e- exactly. But if if a, an attack's very coordinated, they generally say state-based because they're like, okay, this is a a structured attack. It's not a bunch of criminals just trying to make some money or do something stupid. It's something a bit more structured. And that's and because of by the sounds of it, the ASD have said, well, it's a structured in nature, therefore it's state-based. Now. You can assume it. It's it could very well be someone like China, and that's why they're saying that. But they probably don't know for certain. They probably will never know for certain. But but what always? It's always a funny little thing for me as well. Because we, we they talk about all these different departments were exposed and blah blah blah. But but we know for a fact that a lot of these departments, you know, so so that the, like the, so the ASD have this thing. They say Strange Signals Director. I did a podcast on it. 
uh, episode seven, I think it is. If you want to check it out, it's on the Essentials Eight, which is the um, the essential cybersecurity mitigation measures or essential standards or technical practices that you should have in place to mitigate against cybersecurity instances in your um, business or organisation. Uh, the the government the government's own departments don't really do all these things themselves. So I guess that's the point I was I was going to make. Patch operating systems. We know for a fact that there are a lot of government departments that aren't running the latest operating systems. And it, look, you don't anyone can observe that themselves. It's not very hard if you go into certain agencies, you'll see certain systems that are operating. And, and we know for a fact that they purchased extended support life for Windows Seven with for, from Microsoft. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these types of things that you're supposed to do in the Essentials A standard, and the Auditor General has identified this previously, they don't do. So, you know, it, it's a little bit of like do as I say, not as I do, and there's a little bit of there's a lack of uh, leadership in cybersecurity uh, at federal level. Uh, it may well be a little bit better at state, I'm not aware of it, but certainly uh, at federal level, they have the resources, they have the departments, but none of these departments, you know, again, they're all their own little business units basically and they all do their own thing. And so, I mean, that's the whole thing with, with cybersecurity, um, you know, that they have <laughs> they have some great ideas and, and some great things to, to tell you about, but uh, the, the government, when it comes to its own IT, I don't think it really listens to what its own advice is. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that's that's the way that is. And look, you know, they're, they're not the only ones. We, you know, we've talked over the last month or two about other companies, very large ASX-listed companies that have probably got substantial budgets that, that again, aren't giving the proper serious consideration to the cybersecurity. And generally, it's because yeah. it's only, I mean, it's been a thing for a long time now, but it's really not been like something that maybe you'd talk about in a board meeting. I really don't think in my, these big ASX companies, the IT and cybersecurity was really probably a subject at these major board meetings and that, which it probably is when, now. Yeah. Particularly with these board meetings where you've got a bunch of, with all due respect to them, 60-year-old white guys sitting around the table. No, talking, about talking about golf. Yeah, they're not going to talking about cybersecurity. That's right. They're talking about the next round and, at Royal Pines or something like that. So... Uh, you know, they're talking about their weekend or where they went fishing or, or something like that. You know, they're, they're not talking about cybersecurity. And, and that's, look, that is a, a, a cultural thing. And, and, you know, and look, that will inevitably change over time. And, and I think now that, it, you know, now some companies are getting exposed and they're probably starting to ask those questions. So they're probably being a little bit reactive about these things. But again, I mean, that's, that's better than nothing, I guess. But certainly it isn't um, top of mind. For most boards, and it is something that they really it should be top of mind. And I think it's a good conversation to have, and I always encourage people to have that conversation because I, I, you know, and bring it on. Like I think it's I think it's a great thing to talk about, and there's you know there's so much you can do in, with it, and there's a lot of different things that maybe people think are sufficient that maybe aren't sufficient anymore. So there's a there's a lot going on with it. It's a big topic, and I feel like we do talk about it every week, but it is the probably the most important thing at the moment. Uh, it is the topic of the year. Great. So, you know, that's cybersecurity. Uh, I think that's a, that's a wrap. That's a that week. is a wrap. That's a wrap. So that's Friday. Thanks, everyone. We will see you guys next Tuesday for a super exciting episode. I think we'll be at episode nine. So it will be. I'm sure we'll come up with something fantastic for that uh, as, as, uh, as I play a game of golf over the weekend. Uh-huh. So uh, I'm Ben. And I'm Sam. And we'll see you guys next time. Catch up.